apology, the podcast, slash the newsletter, you already know the drill. I'm so happy you're here. So, I thought we would start by just talking about some things that have been on my mind since we spoke last, slash since I ultimately spoke to myself last and then sort of uploaded the file and then had the file sent to all your individual emails and like such as. Um, first thing on my mind, this Beyonce mute business, can we talk about this? So for people who have not been um, so online that absolutely nothing can happen in the pop culture world without you being notified within seconds, basically Beyonce is on tour right now. She's on the Renaissance tour and she has a song, I'm sure you all know it, where the lyrics go, look around everybody on mute. And, you know, in the song, she says, look around, everybody on mute, but she doesn't necessarily mute. But what we've been learning from seeing the videos of the tour is that she will say the line, everybody on mute, and she'll pause. And there's an expectation (laughs) that the audience pauses as well. Sort of everyone freezes, basically to sort of demonstrate Beyonce's power that, you know, she can simply say something and make it so um, sort of like, God, our our um understanding, our Judeo-Christian understanding of God. <laughs> so she wants us to um sort of act that out, and so I'm I'm seeing the most fascinating thing happen where there's this pressure to perform. People want to meet Beyonce's expectations, even though she is a performer. They too, in in return, want to perform back, and their way of per- of performing is silence, achieving this silence. And so I'm seeing video after video, this has been going on for months, <laughs> video after video of um, her getting to the line and then one person who clearly has freedom in their life and they're not like chronically online and so they didn't get the memo, they go, look around, it's me and my group, which is the next line, and they're treated with vitriol. <laughs> they are met with the most, I've never seen a social dynamic switch so quickly where in one moment we're all enjoying ourselves we're at a concert we're having fun it's the summer we're living and then in seconds this person is a leper we've got to get them out get them off the island they could be killed the way that they're being looked at that person's life is on the line i'm seeing video after video of like somebody started making little cards that said hey when she gets to this line mute somebody took their time they went to kinkos they printed out their own on good card stock i saw it it looks like Beyonce could have made it like it's high quality. <laughs> Passed out these cards to other concert goers and just said, hey, listen, we're all going to try to mute. Um, and still, even with the cards, it wasn't clicking. It wasn't clicking. And I'm seeing um, these amazing comments on the videos. I saw I saw one where um, they had people muted for a couple seconds, but then one woman cheered because she was proud that they all muted. But in cheering, um, she actually failed the assignment and so the comment said you know uh she she chooses to celebrate the silence with noise and i actually do think that there was something so poetic about that (laughs) so i want to talk about this because i want to talk about how we are a generation of people who are saying that we want to be you know prison abolitionists we want another way we want less policing but how can we in good conscience say that when we are policing each other on our weekends off from work. Like, we cannot treat each other like this. I think this is absolutely ludicrous. And I feel like there's no, when I'm seeing the videos, there's no awareness of like, I am now dictating how somebody else 
spends their time at this concert and I do feel that that is within my power there is no checking of that there's no hey actually this girl wants to cheer like listen these tickets are really expensive and she wants to have a good time who am I to tell her not to cheer there's none of that there's just there's immediate vitriol I saw one video this morning where um a woman cheered and then a, a huge crowd of strangers yelled at her at her bitch <laughs> they all called her a bitch together <laughs> it's just like listen I'm gonna talk about this later in the show but you know I'm not somebody who's immune to fandom I'm a part of multiple fandoms especially pop star fandoms but I think as we engage in pop culture fanaticism which I think enjoying things is beautiful and everyone should enjoy things but there has to be a line and we absolutely cannot use our love of a performer to alienate the people around us <laughs> and I actually thought we were all on the same page about this and I'm seeing that we're not. <laughs> so the mute videos, I'll I'll put some I'll put some in. I'll download some and, and put them in the um, podcast because I I need you if you're not deep in this. I need you to hear it. I do think it says something about where we are as a culture. I do actually think it's about the recession, weirdly, <laughs> where I think it's about like, okay, we're all under a lot of stress. Some of us are on strike and I've been on strike for, let me check the calendar, 103 days. Mm -hmm. And so some of us are sort of going through it and we kind of just need things to go well and we need things to go right. And if one thing is off, we're going to snap. And, you know, make no mistake, I have empathy for that. Lately, my stress levels have been so high. The other day, um, somebody cut me off in traffic and I watched myself form a fist and then punch my own steering wheel to blow on the horn for 90 seconds straight. So make no mistake, the, I am not judging. I have no leg to stand on. I, too, have been wiling out all summer and I, too, am acting up. But I just think that in general, we really have to be intentional. Number one, with how we're expressing our fandom, because I think nobody wants to hear it. But there's a thin line between, okay, I'm a fan of someone. Okay, I'm a stan. Okay, I, um, I love this person. I love everything about them. Oh, I'm in QAnon. Oh my god, I'm in QAnon. We've really just got to, you know, remember where we are, remember what we've been through, remember COVID, remember the, the COVID thing we all just went through, and then kind of just try to extend um, grace for each other. Because I, I just, I don't want to see another uh, innocent, usually black woman who's trying to have a good time get absolutely screamed at by a, a crowd of people who <laughs> ultimately should be right next to her enjoying her night. Now, listen. Does the fact that Beyonce is sitting there waiting with expectations and she clearly is like creating this sort of weird competition, <laughs> like does that does that elevate the stakes of it? Yeah, for sure. I don't know what to tell you. Beyonce is super competitive. I don't know if you've ever seen Beyonce or heard of her, but like she is a very intense person. But do not let Beyonce pressure you into being weird. That's all I'll say about that. Um, the other thing I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about the Barbie movie still. I saw it opening night. Um, I am a Barbie girl. I think that's obvious from just literally my whole deal. I loved Barbie. Famously, um, I only stopped playing with Barbies when I was like, let's say truly 13. 
<laughs> and I only stopped because my mom did fully send my Barbies to my cousins in Liberia. And she was like, April, you're in junior high. You can't do this. But, you know, I, I firmly believe that the intensity with which I used to play with my Barbies, I think actually really did help me frame the way that I thought about storytelling as a kid. You know, there's this amazing um, Joey Soloway quote where he talks about basically like, I can't believe that men try to make women feel like men are the natural people to be directors, like in filmmaking and, um, and, and making TV, when it's so clear that we have been directing from birth when we play with our Barbies, which is very true. I used to literally have full storylines and they would be like elaborate storylines that developed over time it would be like intrigue I, I used to have like barbies would like go to a corner of the house and talk to themselves about like i feel so guilty because <laughs> like i was like <laughs> thinking about their motivation and the, all that stuff was so fun to me and i think that it's not not relevant especially to i think a lot of girls who were intense about their barbies ended up in creative fields and so i think that uh the Barbie movie, I already knew going into it, like, this is, there's plenty of room for nuance because the act of playing Barbies was already sort of, like, layered. I kind of had that background. Um, and so there's lots of people have been talking about the Barbie movie forever. I'm not going to give, like, a detailed review, um, but there's plenty of those out there that are amazing. But I will say that the, the one image that is stuck in my head that I can't stop thinking about is when okay so spoiler alert if you didn't get um indoctrinated into Barbenheimer I don't know what to tell you but you're late but so anyway uh yeah you should see the Barbie movie though for sure I actually haven't seen Oppenheimer yet it does seem honestly kind of like a bummer and I'm like sort of going through a hard time <laughs> and I just want to have fun but so um in the Barbie movie, there's this scene where, you know, she leaves Barbie land and comes to the real world, specifically Century City, LA, shout out. And she um, is in this boardroom with all of the, like, the top people of Barbie leadership. So it's like the CEO, which is Will Ferrell, and like all these dudes. And they're trying to get her to agree to go back to Barbie land. Because essentially, her being there could like, sort of put a hole in the space-time continuum, is my understanding. So there's a box there and it's like the box that the Barbies come in and they're like, oh, you know, here's your box. Like, did you want to sort of get in the box or try to like get her to go in the box? And she's like, oh, yeah, like I miss the smell of these. Like, I, I remember being in, in the box and she goes in there and then she sees like the little plastic handcuffs <laughs> that all the Barbies have when you buy them. Like in the box, they're standing up um, straight and their arms are down and then their hands are like tied to the box secured in a way that does ultimately look like handcuffs and and barbie looks at them and then she's like um can i go to the bathroom really quick because <laughs> she's like wait i don't want to willingly put my own chains on and i i think that there's so much that you can say about the barbie movie i certainly don't think it's perfect but that moment i was like yeah that's that alone that idea makes the whole movie worth making because i remember when i used to buy a new barbie i used to get a new barbie and I would get the box and I would admire the box and then I would always want to like rip the box open and I remember like begging my mom for scissors like she didn't want me to hurt myself but I'm like no give me scissors because I need to cut her out of there like we need to get her out of there <laughs> it's just like she's in chains like that that the image alone and just I do remember seriously it made me uncomfortable as a kid of like she's already in the box they have her box her feet like secured to the bottom of the box like she's she's in there she's not going anywhere why is she in handcuffs <laughs> like, why, why must we be in handcuffs? 
So there's lots to say about how that will, you know, how that idea applies to um, the modern day experience of being a woman. <laughs> we don't have to get into all of that. But let's just say that when I saw that, I felt that. That slammed right into me. Um, and definitely shout out Greta. Greta, we've had our disagreements in the past. You know, I famously, and I'll go on record, Frances Ha is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I'll say that with my whole chest. So I didn't really know exactly what to expect going into this, but I, I was so pleasantly surprised and I had so much fun watching it and I was worried it would just sort of feel like a like white feminist manifesto and it really didn't it really did not feel that way to me and I enjoyed it but yeah it just reminded me of that experience as a kid of being like why is she okay somebody help her who is gonna help her <laughs> I uh I felt it and and always Margot Hive forever Margot Hive to the death of me I freaking ride for her she's amazing and now I'd like to get into the main topic for this week, the main thing that I've been thinking about a lot, and that is the art of the pivot. So in the last podcast that I made, I was talking about the writer's strike, and I was talking about um, AMPTP, which is the group of studios and streamers that has, uh, up until this point, refused to uh, negotiate with my union, the WGA and um, SAG since they've been on strike. And as of today, we got word that yesterday negotiations officially began again. They're now sort of on speaking terms and getting to a place where hopefully we'll be able to look at a deal soon and vote, God willing. I mean, also they could fall apart at any time um, and be back uh, beefing. So we don't know really what's happening, but we're being, we're having positive vibes right now. I've agreed to that. So I'm going to try to have positive vibes, even though we're traumatized from the last 103 days. But um, I have sort of been going through something where I'm realizing like, you know, the strike could be over in a couple weeks, days, it could take another six months, God only knows. But the longer that it stretches out, and the more that I've actually had time to sit back and think about my experience during the strike, but just also my experience in my career in general, I'm realizing like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> Meaning like, not like be a writer. I love being a writer and I love my job, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm grateful not for the strike. The whole strike has been complete bullshit. It was completely avoidable. They're so greedy. They're awful. I'm not grateful for the strike, but I'm grateful to have a moment to sort of be in my house and not be like rushing off to work or rushing off to some general or rushing off to anything and truly having to sit and think about what has my experience been like and how do I feel about it uh, going forward. And I'm realizing that I can't go back to the way things were before, meaning like before the strike, I literally just had my head down and was working so hard and so nonstop that I didn't stop to think about like, who is benefiting from my labor? Like I, of course, knew that I've worked on lots of shows, some shows that like nobody has ever watched, some shows that are extremely popular. I'm not wealthy. Like I knew that. I knew like I'm, I talked to older writers in my field and they like, started to be able to buy a house their first second year as a tv writer i am like an upper level tv writer producer cannot afford a house and so i'm just like i knew that that was a problem <laughs> i knew that it's like you know sometimes a clip from a show that like let's say a clip that, of a show that i worked on would go viral online and a bunch of people would be like i love this show like i signed up for this streaming service because i love this show and i'm thinking okay that obviously hasn't equated to like more money for me so there's some awareness but I think 
the way that a lot of the studios and streamers have been able to get away with this for so long is because we're all working so hard and hustling so hard just to survive that we don't have a minute to come up for water and think, hey, why do I have to work so hard to hustle and survive? Like, what's going on? This is supposed to be a good job. <laughs> like, we're told that if you, like, by some miracle get to actually come to LA and do the thing you wanted to do, then that's a good job and you'll be able to take care of yourself and your family. And that just hasn't been the case, like, the entire time that I've been here. But I think now that I have had that moment to come up for air and think about my career, I'm thinking I can't do this anymore where I'm, like, I'm constantly sort of this uh like hamster on the wheel like I'm I work extremely hard but also just because of the nature of being a writer you it's not a passive thing you go to work and you pitch stuff that's like from your heart like I'll, regularly I'm like okay so this traumatic thing happened with my parents or like I went through this thing like uh because I'm a first generation person and so I had this experience and maybe it could apply to this character this way you put your whole actual heart into your work and to think that I could go back and continue to do that for people who, like I said in the last episode, they did say that they wanted to starve us out, that I don't know why they acted like we have no idea who said that. It said in the original article, many people reiterated the same thought. So it wasn't one person. It was many studio heads had said the same thing because that obviously was their intention. You can tell by how long this has already gone on. And so I'm thinking I worked so hard and I think a lot of my labor for the past like decade has benefited other people way more than it's benefited me. And I think now I'm looking back and I'm thinking the cost of that is too high. I think that, you know, I'm not somebody who is, it's not like I haven't made money. Like I actually have made a decent living for myself the past few years. I get to, you know, I lease a Lincoln. <laughs> I'm, I'm doing I'm doing okay but I think that it's not even just about the money it's about how can I pour so much of myself into an avenue where the people at the top they can't quality wise they they truly can't even tell the difference they don't give a shit it's just about lining their pockets and that's it so I've been thinking about pivoting and I've been thinking about sort of an existential pivot but I also have been thinking about Literally, like, if this strike goes on till November, obviously I will need, like, another... I, you can only save so much, my God. <laughs> like, we, if I don't go to back to work at some point, I will literally need some money. And so I'm like, okay, what else would I do? I started to think about, yeah, if I, if I was thinking about pivoting, where would I pivot? And I kind of had this realization in um, therapy. I was talking to my therapist, and I realized, like, I have a thing in my brain where if at some point I had to pivot, if at some point it was, okay, we're not doing this industry anymore, like literally this industry is pretty much not going to exist until they agree to a bunch of things that they have said that they will never even talk about. So if I can't do the thing that I've been doing for the past few years, then what else would I do? And even just having that thought made me so sad. And so we're in therapy, you're starting to sort of poke at what is that? And I think there's like, there's some shame that comes along with the idea of pivoting and I think that it comes from me being an extremely ambitious and type a type of person who has sort of put a lot of pressure on myself to succeed and I've been in pursuit of a singular goal like I'm not somebody who was like I want to be an astronaut okay no maybe a doctor okay no maybe a lawyer no 
if you asked six-year-old April what she wanted to do, she would tell you that she wanted to write, direct, and potentially act in television. And now it's the same exact thing. And so it's like the idea of having to pivot away from that, even if it's not my fault, and like so many of the things that are happening right now in my own career are completely outside of my own control, I'm realizing that there's there's still shame there. It's almost like, even though I feel at this point sort of morally like dubious about my career as it was, I still feel like having to shift away from that is like admitting some sort of defeat. And I wonder if there's other people during the strike who have felt like that. And I also know that there's plenty who don't. I'm very jealous of them, of just like, listen, work is work. I will pivot to something else. I have to take care of myself. And then if the opportunity comes, I'll pivot back. It's not tied to my like self, um, my idea of self at all. And I am very envious of those people because I'm realizing, yeah, my job is like, it is tied to my idea of myself and I want to, I want to untie it. I'm realizing at this time that it's actually like, it's, uh, extremely urgent that I untie it because I'm like, okay, I cannot have the reason that I feel quote unquote successful be that I make Bob Iger richer. That and that's what's been going on. Like that like he's like, Oh, the writers are unrealistic. It's like, dude, I've written a movie for Disney. That means I personally put in blood, sweat, and tears and it made him richer and it made me miserable. <laughs> and it gave me a panic attack and it got him a yacht. That's what happened. And for me to think anything different than that is just naive. And I think that now that I'm like fully, I'm wide awake, shout out Katy Perry, <laughs> I'm wide awake and I got it. I got to change at least like the, uh, the way that I approach my work minimum. But I, yeah, I'm realizing that like there's, there's shame there of just like being told, Hey, listen, you actually got there. Like the odds were completely stacked against you. And some, by some miracle, you got to come to LA and actually do your job and you made it and you're so close to getting to the place that you've been working towards forever but actually unfortunately you have to do something else you have to do something else now so I don't know good luck (laughs) it's just like what (laughs) uh I'm so sorry are you fucking kidding me I've never wanted to do anything else and it's a different thing to say I can't do anything else I think truly there's plenty of things I can do a very creative person there's lots of interests that I have I could even be fulfilled doing something else but I don't want to and the idea that I would have to be forced to by decisions outside of my own control it makes me so fucking mad I can't even find a word to describe it and also makes me for some reason filled with shame because it's like it feels like admitting defeat it feels like a failure or something to be able to be like yeah, I can't, like, if the strike goes on for a year and a half, I can't just sit and wait. Like, yeah, I can't. There's very few people who can, but for some reason, it just feels so bad to me. And I think, you know, I'm going to blame capitalism. (laughs) Like, I'll just, I'll say it. I'm going to blame capitalism. I'm going to say that as much as I try to truly be a very uh, progressive, socially conscious, uh, socialist-minded person, I do still have in my mind that If I can do something that I like and they give me money for it, I'm good. And if I can't do something I like that they give me money for, I'm bad. (laughs) So I I think that the only way that I'm going to no longer feel like that is if I sort of take some stock of how much I'm investing in my job and, and invest those things elsewhere. Like I've been thinking, there's many dreams of mine that I've had, like wanting to be an author or even forever I've been wanting to 
direct, write my own features, write my own anything, make things. And I'm thinking I want to basically split my time in the future where half of me is invested in this game of like, okay, I'll go to a general and then be charming, even though ultimately I'm like pretty introverted, but be charming in the general. And then they'll be like, oh my God, we got to staff you. And then they give me a staffing meeting and I be charming in the staffing meeting, even though ultimately I am exhausted. And so then I give my A game and they're like, oh my God, we got to work with this girl. And then every day at the writer's room, I'm like, here's this idea and this thing I went through and this honestly trauma that I'm still kind of working through and this thing that happened from my real life that I experienced. And they're like, yes, we're taking it. Like, you're amazing at your job. Check, check, check. And then like, they put it on the streaming service and people are watching it and then I get a little bit of money. <laughs> I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I just, I, in all, I, I just, I can't. I don't have it anymore. So I'm thinking about pivoting and I'm thinking about maybe a way to frame it to make me feel better about it so that I don't feel um, such a heaviness around it as I'm thinking about instead of pivoting, expanding like expanding on what I do expanding on where my creative energies are channeled because I think if it's not just one place something that I've learned the hard way if your creative energy is not just channeled in one place and that place gets taken away you won't feel the sort of the sky is falling feeling that I just recently have been going through <laughs> Which is kind of embarrassing because actually I was, I thought that I had to uh, reach this realization previously. Like it's a, it, one hurdle that you go through earlier in your career is like, I'm not going to let my self-worth be tied to like whether or not I get this job or this job because ultimately it really is just about like who knows who, who gets along, like vibes, uh, nepotism, etc. So I've learned that lesson. But I guess the second part of that lesson is you know, once you do get those opportunities that you've been working so hard for for years, the important lesson is that there's parts of you that you put into your work because you care about it and you want those shows, movies, any creative thing, you want it to be a success. But there's also parts of you that you put other places that you put away so that if the thing that you've been pouring yourself into, it just for some reason doesn't exist one day or you find out that actually it's completely been benefiting somebody who is actually evil and it, it has only benefited you a little bit, you don't feel so torn apart and you don't feel so, like, used. I guess that's the biggest way that I've been feeling all this whole strike is just like, wow, I didn't realize how used I've been. Like, I felt like I was working hard. Obviously, you feel it. And, you know, especially 30 now, I literally feel it that I've been working hard. But we've been used in a huge, uh, on a huge, literally global scale. And it makes me want to diversify where I put myself, like what parts of myself I share, um, in this industry and what parts are just for me and will like keep it from the memoir, uh, you know, literally just write about it privately, make things, um, that aren't necessarily tied to financial gain, but are about myself and my experiences being able to shield yourself from a little bit of that that feeling of the realization of oh my god like I put myself into this and I was used uh that is an important lesson that I didn't know that I needed to learn and baby I got it <laughs> loud and clear I got it 
And I think, you know, the benefit of having learned this lesson the hard way is that going forward, I'm going to move so different. Number one, I'm not going to let these people stress me out. <laughs> like, there have been many situations where it's like, why doesn't the showrunner understand, like, the idea I'm trying to convey? Or, like, why doesn't he understand that we could elevate the material so much? No. That's these people's problem. If you want to make a mediocre show, feel free to make a mediocre show. I will uh, obviously contribute what I have, and I'll, I'll always show up and be you know, the best version of myself that I absolutely can be, but it's definitely not going to be the same level of intensity and I'm lowering the stakes. Like I personally, I'm just going to go ahead and lower the stakes and have a mindset of this is my job. This is one way that I get to be creative. There's other ways that I get to be creative and that fulfill me and that I'm not waiting for this industry to make me feel like I've, I'm waiting for them to let me tell the story that I need to tell. I think my story will come out in whatever way that it will. I hope to have a long life. I'm 30 years old and I'm not going to let these people be the make or break desires of whether or not I get to feel valid in my creativity. Like I refuse. I absolutely refuse. I'm just point blank not doing it. So I'm excited to sort of enter this next phase of my career where I really think about my creativity as ultimately more malleable and more bountiful than I thought because I think I kind of thought like okay I'm a tv writer I go and I pitch great I'm doing great but it's like no I'm one one thing I do is be a tv writer but I also love to like uh play my instruments what if I wrote a song what if I like I love interior design what if I like got to redecorate a friend's house and like that kind of thing would totally give me creative fulfillment without feeling like um I put everything into an industry that ultimately does again so sorry to say it want me dead <laughs> sorry to be a bummer but that's kind of the vibe right now and that mindset feels a lot healthier for me and it feels a lot more appropriate for where I'm at in my life um and that brings me to the other thing that I wanted to talk about so for the astrology girlies out there um definitely y'all you know send me tips. I'm going to need some help. Um, I years ago had heard about the concept of a Saturn return. And I remember years ago, like somebody telling me like, Hey, you're going to have this point in your life where like, you know, shit hits the fan and you kind of get to cement who you are. And it's really stressful. And I remember looking up at the time, like when's mine going to happen? And I saw the date and I was like, okay, we're nowhere near that. Like we're fine. But so the other day I was just thinking about all of this stuff that's come up during the strike and, and, Honestly, just I've had like a very stressful last um, like year of my life and especially concentrated in the last like eight months. And so I'm like, let me just go check and see like what what was going on with my Saturn return again. I check. It started six months ago. <laughs> and it's like, listen, I'm not going to sit here and imply that the writer strike is because I am being tested by God slash the stars. <laughs> but I will say that it's not a coincidence. <laughs> definitely not a coincidence i the date like basically if you look up the calculators they'll tell you the exact date that the return happened but they say the saturn return like that point in your life where you know it's almost like the values that you've gained and the experiences that you've had are put to the test and then cemented it lasts like a year and a half and it can start like a little bit before this date and then go after but i looked up that exact date to see what was going on that date <laughs> the exact day that my saturn return happened 
I had just found out that my dad um, had cancer. He, for anybody worried, he's doing a lot better right now. Thank God for that. I just talked to him. Um, but I found out that he had cancer. And then my sister and I were like, oh, that's awful. You know what we need to do? Let's unwind. Let's go to the gym. Let's work out for 10 minutes and then get in the jacuzzi. We're turning into the gym. And that is the day that I got slammed into um, and T-boned in, by the way, a brand new car. I had just sort of leased that Lincoln that I had mentioned. Um, by an out of control, um, I think drunk and definitely mentally ill Russian woman. That was like the day that it started. And since then it's just been like, um, complete chaos, like work, worked really hard. And then all of a sudden I'm on strike. Um, yeah, I, I read about a couple posts back, started a new medication, realized that it made me, uh, gain a lot of weight. Now I'm dealing with body image issues that I thought I had dealt with and also, uh, just trying to like prevent any health things from coming up, which means I now have to like deal with the medical fat phobia that I've been avoiding for years and like having to look into all of these corners of my life that I kind of had just addressed a little bit, but sort of put a lid on and just kind of hoped everything was fine. And now everything is just sort of like exploding at the same time. And I'm trying to kind of put lids on, but there's no lid, baby. Like, you gotta deal with it. <laughs> I kind of I just feel like that is not um, a coincidence. And I'm now starting to absolutely believe in this concept of a Saturn return. And so I'm just realizing that uh, I do feel like I'm at a huge transitional point in my life. And I do feel like I'm really, a lot of the things that I have learned and things that I've gone through really feel like they're extremely relevant right now. And I do feel like I'm kind of settling into like who I'm going to be as a person. Like, I think I've always had a good sense of self, but I think now it's like, now I'm really a woman. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I feel like I've spent a long time as like a girl, like mentally sort of teenage girl. I do identify as 17 and I have since I was 17, but it's like, now I'm lately, I'm feeling like a woman, like things happen. And all of a sudden I'm just like, this is absolute bullshit. <laughs> like I'm like, I'm, I've been a confrontational in the past, but now I'm like very confrontational. I'm not finding it hard to advocate for myself at all. I'm not even feeling like iffy about it. I'm feeling I'm being very direct. I'm like the relationships that I have in my life right now feel very fulfilling in ways that I haven't always felt. And I feel very like I'm exactly where I should be, but I'm also being pushed to the absolute limit with the hopes that I land on my feet. And so when I put that date and I saw that and then I kind of thought about the year so far, I've been like, oh my God, it's happening. <laughs> so I would love to hear from all of you. Anyone who has survived their Saturn return, um, anyone who is about to go through theirs, who is long done with theirs, who knows about all of this stuff, I would just love to hear. And people who, by the way, if you haven't heard about the astrology side of it, but you've just been through your late 20s, early 30s, and you've seen some shit... <laughs> I would just love your wisdom. I would love to know like what what lessons did you learn at this point in your life and how did they serve you once you got older? Like I really like thinking about the 35-year-old version of myself who's like, "Oh girl, I don't let these people stress me out. Like I clock in, I do what I got to do. I go home to my uh plus-size model husband and like we have a beautiful fulfilling life and I'm I'm completely centered like that idea of myself is so cool that I'm like okay we got to get to that but in order to get to that I gotta sort of survive this shit that I'm going through <laughs> so I would love to hear from people who are on the other side of it how did it go was your Saturn return like absolutely off the wall bananas like mine is or and if so how did you get through it I would love to hear that 
All right. Um, before we get into the apology, this week I actually recorded my apology and made a TikTok out of it. Because again, you know, I sort of am on strike and I sort of don't have a job. So I have time on my hands. And it's just a little experiment to um, see if I could reach new people. So if you want to see a video version of this apology, uh, check the show notes. I'll put a link to it. And if not, keep listening. Okay, so if you've been following along, then you know on my newsletter, you owe me an apology. I pick a person, place, or thing who owes me an apology, and I demand it, and I go off. And this week, I decided to uh, not only record my apology, but put it on TikTok, because I want this to find some people in particular. If this came up on your For You page, it's because it's for you. I'm coming at you. I'm adding you. This is me adding you, okay? So this week, I demand an apology from Taylor Swift haters. I said what I said. Let's go. I was one of the lucky few who got to go to the Eras tour in LA this week. And before I get into that, I just want to say, outside looking in, I know what Swifties look like because I used to, by the way, be a Swiftie hater too. I too thought that Swifties were mostly just, you know, a bunch of like Karens in training, sprinting towards the stage, you know, violent mass hysteria, just sort of a nonsensical frenzy. Um, And that is part of it. (laughs) But there's also more to the story. So, you know, once I got to the concert, I'm looking around, I'm seeing, honestly, a huge variety of, like, uh, ages, races, genders, and I'm feeling a weird connection with all of them (laughs) that I had not anticipated. A sort of, a sort of, like, understanding. Like, we look at each other and we exchange this look of knowing, of just, like, uh, you're one of us. And it's like, I guess I am. (laughs) And then once once the music starts and when she starts singing, you know, she almost sings for four hours, you realize, okay, she has been singing for hours. I have not missed one lyric. This has gotten way out of control. I'm in this I'm in this so much deeper than I ever thought. I, I literally used to be a hater and I woke up one day ten years later and I'm not missing a single word. And I am making friendship bracelets. <laughs> I'll show you. I um, didn't have that many beads in my house, but I did make some friendship bracelets and um, they do say proud Swifty of color. And that's me, a proud Swifty of color. But once you start thinking, you realize like, even if this is not your favorite artist, no one's saying this has to be your favorite artist, but there has to be some acknowledgement for the fact that we're in a stadium and we're singing songs that like in any other context would never be stadium songs. Like I think when I think of stadiums, I think of like a big rock band or like a big pop star, like popular songs, things that a lot of people, you know, could relate to and sing to and dance to. And then in practice with Taylor Swift, you're watching somebody sing a song about like their husband slowly emotionally withdrawing and you two are singing back like gain the weight of you and lose it <laughs> like you are in it in a way that uh i don't think anybody else could bring you to that place and i truly do think that you don't have to be a fan of taylor swift i would never demand that but i do think that the people who want to just continue to say i don't understand i don't understand like why this girl's famous i don't i don't think she's anything special It's 2023, the whole not like other girls thing is played out, okay? Everybody's in another group chat without you talking shit about you, 
because you don't know how to have a good time. You don't know how to have a good time. There's two options in this world. There's two options in this world. There's option A, you can sit back and be a freaking hater and seeing people clearly get their life. You could sit back and be like, oh, you know, well, I, I don't I don't listen to music like that. I listen to music of substance, you know, I listen to conscious rap and so I, I would never get anything out of that. Or you could be like, okay, fuck it. Like, do I twerk to style when I'm getting ready to go to the gym in the morning? Yeah. How else am I going to get out of bed? Like, it's a recession. You got to hold on to the things that bring you joy. And to the people who just want to hate on other people having joy, I am looking at you sideways. I am judging you. I am thinking what's wrong with you. You are missing out. You are a hater. You are a loser. And nobody likes you. And by the way, I'm not going to sit here and vouch for this girl's personal life and personal politics. Because guess what? I don't know her like that. But what I will say is, as somebody who has a deep appreciation of music, it's hard for me to believe the people who are like, oh, I just don't get it. Because to be honest, she has something for every genre. And nobody's going to want to hear this, but it's the God's honest truth. Has Taylor rapped before? Yeah. Can she spit? Yeah. Sorry. I know you don't want to hear it. You know, he was a killer. First time that he saw me. Stealing hearts and running off and never saying sorry. But if I'm a thief, then he can join the heist and we can move to an island and he can be my jailer, Burton to this tailor. Every love I've known in comparison is a failure. Come on. <laughs> like, don't do this. Don't do this. The country fan, if you're a country fan, you're already in. You're already in the car. You're on your way. If you're a hip-hop fan, yeah, I would say reputation. I would say dip your toe in. You can do it on private session, but you should do it. You have one life. <laughs> For people who are like, you know, I, I'm, I like... I like alternative rock, you know, I I, I, I listen to Kings of Leon. <laughs> I, I only listen to, you know, serious rock and I like alternative rock, rock that really challenges you. Honey, Boney Vare's on the album. Like, we're all here, we're waiting for you. We're waiting for you. And for those people, I would recommend the last album, Midnight's, the bonus tracks, there's a song on there called Would've, Could've, Should've. I would say if you're a fan of rock music and you have not engaged in Taylor Swift, go ahead, cut on Would've, Could've, Should've. I'll wait come back, leave a comment, okay? And we'll go from there. We'll go from there. Because here's the thing, I want you to enjoy your life, okay? Amen? I want you to enjoy your life. I want you to have joy. I don't want you to cut yourself off from joy because you think you're better. There's no, there's nothing to gain from that. Nobody thinks you're cool. Nobody thinks you're special. We're all worried about you because you're depressed. <laughs> And honestly, come be depressed with the rest of us, but with Evermore in the background. Come on. So when I was at the air store, did I feel like I was at a cult meeting? Yeah, I did. But did I also feel like I was experiencing a beautiful moment of community with uh, other, you know, mentally ill, like-minded individuals? Yeah. And it was beautiful. And I'm going through a lot right now. And I needed that. I needed that and I want you to have it too. So yes, I do demand an apology from the people who have sort of refused to engage off of some sort of weird moral superiority. It's like, okay, congratulations. Congratulations. You're very cool for listening to Florence and the Machine and not Taylor Swift. And mind you, if you listen to Taylor Swift, you would understand she's deeply influenced by Florence and you feel it. Anyway, <clears throat> so what I want to say is I do demand an apology from those people, but also the door is open. And I know that Swifties, you know, we get a bad rap for being insane and for like bullying people on the internet. And I don't stand by any of that. But 
one thing I do know about this community is that we welcome people. They're, they're at least for the majority of the people that I've engaged with, there's not a judgment of like, well, if you weren't here in 2007, if you were here when she was talking about our song, then there's no place for you. We're not doing that here. We're not doing that here. If it took you, you know, 15, 16 years to get here, I'm just glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. So honestly, I will do the service because I'm on strike and I don't have a job. <laughs> leave a comment down below saying okay I've never listened to Taylor Swift but this is what I usually listen to I will suggest three songs you listen to those three songs come back and then tell me that you're still not at least a little bit interested at least a little bit interested so I would say send this to your friends who are hating tell them that I personally hi my name is April I'm a tv writer in LA and I'm calling you out for being fake for being a hater and for not enjoying your life and for what the the ocean is a boiling hot Listen to Taylor Swift. We're going to die. We're going to die. <laughs> and finally, I'm going to do my shout outs for the week. So number one, I'm shouting out this show um, on Netflix. Keep in mind, I, I, I me and Netflix are beefing right now. I sort of, I don't know if you heard me talk about the strike, but they're kind of right at the center of that. So I definitely, if you don't have Netflix already, don't join. Use somebody else's password as long as you possibly can. Literally, honestly do not give them another cent but if you're just looking for something to turn on i've been watching this show called deep fake love and i want to shout out to um my friend stephanie told my sister about it my sister told me about it we turned it on it's absolutely insane so the premise is basically they're in spain and it's all of these couples and they came together to quote test their love which I'm obsessed with reality dating shows. Uh, maybe I'll do like a whole separate post about this because I watch pretty much all of them. And it, a lot of times it, it's this idea of we needed to test our relationship, which doesn't make any sense. Just break up. But so they want to make sure that they can trust their partner, but they don't know exactly how that love will be tested. So what the show does is they separate the couples, puts one house in a house called Mars and then another one that has that's called Venus and they don't explain what what's with the galaxy theme but then um they go to the separate houses and in those separate houses they're single people and so then obviously they're being filmed and then they'll bring them back and show them videos and in the video you might see your boyfriend uh French kissing an, a stranger and so um they ask you first like what do you think about this and and of course my favorite thing about it is um, you know, I've never been to Spain and of course don't want to generalize, but I will say that the specific Spaniards on this show are some of the most, um, expressive, emotional, dramatic people I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> so they'll show a clip of like somebody, uh, somebody's boyfriend kissing another woman and they're like, what do you think, Daniela? And she's like, I just, I can't believe this because I thought our love was real and on my mother's grave, I will never speak to him again and then the, the, they let them like really believe that they're all real and then after they all are sort of traumatized they're like oh by the way we have this technology it's called deep fake technology so actually in those clips uh it could truly be your boyfriend or it could be a deep fake of your boyfriend an actor's um body with your boyfriend's face on it and you have to tell us did he really do that do you believe that he would do that and then they didn't even know that this was an element, but then they'll be like, and then whoever has the least mistakes by the end of this gets a hundred thousand 
euros. <laughs> and so they're all shocked. They're emotional. They're like, okay, well, that makes me feel better because what if he didn't cheat? But then what if he did cheat? And so it's this, it's this real sick sort of twisted psychotic um, game of a reality show. But why I appreciate it is, you know, Netflix was really weird. They had that Black Mirror episode that was about AI. And then this show is also about like specifically the dangers of AI and how like if you don't um if we don't use it with uh a strong idea of how we want to apply it it can easily be used to manipulate people <laughs> and so i don't know why they're like giving people that idea while in the same breath in negotiations with sag trying to like use as much ai as possible and with us too um but i'm obsessed with that so if you want to watch people sort of being manipulated tortured um through the use of ai but all ultimately learning about the dangers of ai and then also um truly ultimately a lot of them are cheating on their partners <laughs> like that it just goes with the territory it's a dating show like we all know what this is so i'm shouting that out <laughs> it sounds like i'm like cautioning you against it but actually i do want you to watch it and i do think it's really entertaining and the host is always wearing these sort of sickening blazers with like the lower back cut out it's like okay work <laughs> i love her okay Next thing I'm shouting out is um, there's a new album from one of my favorite bands called Emotional Oranges. They're a local LA hip-hop group, R&B, and they're amazing. And the new album is called Still Emo, which I love. And I love them actually because I'm just realizing this now. I remember when I first got into them, I went to their Wikipedia and I'm like, who are these people? And it turns out they're all intentionally anonymous and they all have like other jobs. Like they're like, oh, the guitarist is like a history teacher and like the singer, you know, is like an electrician and they all have other, sort of what I was talking about, other uh, like creative outlets, other avenues to express themselves. And I think that that's really incredible. And I'm always looking for new examples of ways to be a creative person um, since I've had my sort of <laughs> awakening trademark sign. Uh, so I love them. So listen to that. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And that's the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening to another one of my solo podcasts where I just sort of go off. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Appreciate your support. Um, And stay tuned. I'm probably going to continue making these at least through the end of the strike because I'm finding working on some writing stuff. And so I'm not finding a lot of extra energy to write, but I am feeling of having a lot of fun making these podcasts for you all. So thank you so much for your support and see you soon. Enjoy the end of summer. You know what I mean? Show your midriff. We're young, you know, and if even if you're not young, show your midriff. Okay. Bye. Love you. I'm not easy. We felt them. My eyes one I don't see you. Anything I touch come crashing down.